Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. I am Chris Graham, and uh, we are talking today with Merritt Hale. Merritt is running for the uh, Republican nomination uh, to run for Congress in the 6th Congressional District, basically up and down the 81 corridor in Virginia, uh, primary coming up in about a week and a half or so. Merritt, welcome to the uh, podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm sure first, and we'll talk about your background uh, in, a, in, a, in a moment. I'm sure at first, maybe th- there might be some folks out there who are surprised to learn that there's a primary coming up. Um, I, I imagine you might be dealing with that issue a good bit uh, uh, as you're out and about on the campaign trail. Talk about that and, and your efforts to get your name out there, but also to tell people, hey, there actually is a vote coming up pretty soon. Absolutely. So off-year primaries are always very hard. And on top of that, we have redistricting. So there's new members of the 6th District, and um, there's a lot of confusion surrounding that. So um, getting out the vote, obviously, is the most important thing. That's how, you know, um, our government gets better. And um, just getting the word out there is, is a big part of this process. Now, look, from looking at your website, it, looked like you, it looks like you entered the race back, what, February or so? We're talking January. about... January. Okay. Um, talk about uh, your decision to, to, you know, throw your name out there and, and try to, you know, give voters a choice. Absolutely. So um, I'm brand new to politics. Uh, this is my first race. Uh, my background was I, I'm a Navy veteran, served four years and worked as a systems engineer supporting the intelligence community. Uh, but what got me into this was my dad was diagnosed with degenerative brain disease, Alzheimer's. And uh, he passed away this December 24th, Christmas Eve. And uh, that was very hard on uh, my family and I. But uh, what made it even worse was dealing with the healthcare bureaucracies, including the VA. He was a veteran um, surrounding the end of life care and then just all the stuff that goes along with it, um, taxes, the IRS, et cetera. And um, I saw what Congress was doing to address that issue. And it was next to nothing. And I started looking at what else they were doing to address the other issues, the hundreds of issues that are facing our country. And it was also next to nothing. So I said, it's time that we get new leadership in there. We need some people who are going to bring fresh ideas and actually want to solve problem and not just um, grandstand. So I threw my hat in the ring to um, try and move our country forward. You know, uh, I a similar kind of thing, family incident from back in my childhood. So it's been quite a few years now. But I remember a cousin of mine was involved in a very tragic auto accident. She actually survived and lived for a few years. But the the cost to her family and they had they had at the time very good health insurance, they thought. But it, it led to bankruptcy. It led to their their, you know, the, the my aunt and uncle divorced. I mean, it was just a terrible thing. And, and that something tragic could also then, you know, lead to all those outcomes. And so, yeah, that, it's, it's interesting that that's what motivated you to want to do that as well. Something similar made you want to do that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something that every American has to deal with at some point, like everyone gets older. Um, everyone has somebody who they love, who's going to pass on, unfortunately. And I think that's an issue actually where the Democrats have done a better job than the Republicans at being empathetic and addressing, um, you know, the healthcare industry. And that's something we as a Republican Party um, need to address and show that, um, yes, we're the party that's conservative and small government, but at the same time, we're compassionate and want to take care of our people. So you're a University of Virginia graduate, right? Yes, sir. 
2016. Um, I, I, we talked before the uh, hit record uh, button there. Uh, I've got a few years on you as EVA graduate, but I'm a fellow who, so wahoo wah as far as that goes. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned that you served in the, uh, you, you commissioned, you, you were in the Naval ROTC as, as a, a student at, at EVA, uh, and then you served um, uh, as a systems engineer. Talk about your service and, and, and also maybe what made you decide to, to go that route to, to, to serve in the military for, for a time. Yeah. So um, like I said, my dad was a 20 year Navy vet. Um, he had a very, um, rough childhood. Um, I'll, I'll spare all the details, but basically he had a very rough childhood and the Navy was what turned his life around. He went in as a, um, 18 year old. Um, he had a great junior officer who gave him the structure that he needed. Um, from there he was able to go to college. And at, at that point he didn't even have his GED. So he got his GED. He was able to go to college and better his life and provide a great life for, um, me and my sister through that. So I was very grateful to the military for all they did for my dad. And he never pressured me to go into it, but um, I, I wanted to um, one, serve my country and to pay back the military for um, what they did for my dad. So that's what um, led to me serving for four years. Um, I got to serve along great people. Um, the military is a, a fantastic institution, like everything else there. Um, you know, it has, it's good and it's bad, but everyone who signs up to serve their country, I have uh, immense respect for. And um, obviously there's lots of veterans issues, which I'm very passionate about and taking care of our veterans. Um, but yeah, and you learn servant leadership. You got to look out for your people um, and hold yourself accountable and those um, around you accountable. And I think that's something we need in Congress is leaders who don't just grandstand and you know, always blame the other party, but actually provide solutions. In the military, you can't just complain. You actually have to provide the solutions. I think that's something important. That background will, will, will be very important uh, in politics. Also, you know, I'm interested in the engineering background. Uh, my, uh, co my college roommate, my best friend, still my best friend all these years later, uh, was in the e-school at EVA. Uh, and and I, I guess just hanging around him for four years, uh, it made me learn a little bit of how engineers approach problems. And so I wonder if you could talk about how uh, your engineering background might also uh, factor into your thinking in terms of uh, politics. Yes, so system engineering is a relatively new branch of engineering. Um, and it's really a way of thinking. Um, everything's integrated, everything touches each other. This is incredibly applicable in politics. Um, some people think foreign policy isn't that important. It is. What's going on in Russia and Ukraine is directly affecting the wheat prices, the gas prices, everything right here in Virginia in our sixth district. And we need leaders who can understand how all these policies are intertwined and the intersectionality of everything that's going on. That, that's critical. Um, D.C. has enough lawyers, in my humble opinion. Um, I think my background as a systems engineer will bring a very different way of thinking and actually addressing problems. Instead of sitting there, you know, debating for an hour whether a comma should be inserted into a sentence, we can actually look at what the underlying issue is and address the underlying problem and not be always treating the symptoms of those problems. I'm very big on proactive solutions and not reactive politics. I'm um, curious too. Now, the, the, the sixth district has uh, an incumbent, Ben Klein, uh, and and he's he's finishing up his he'll be finishing up his second term. So it's not like he's an entrenched long term incumbent, but he's uh, uh, on the heels of Bob Goodlatte, who had been in that seat for a long, long time. Yes. It's it's tough to you know run a, a primary against uh, an incumbent um, and, uh, and and resonate with voters. Um, 
uh, what is it that you that I don't know if there is it anything about Ben Klein particularly that you think you can you know that that made you decide I want to run and do do a better job or is it more just the general uh, tenor of how things are going in DC? Um, it's a bit of both, honestly. Um, I, I've gotten to know Ben Klein. Yeah, he he's a a good man from uh, my interactions with him, but I think he's a very ineffective legislator. Um, and as you pointed out, he is um, going into his third term, but he was the chief of staff to Bob Goodlatte and um, he was the heir apparent. He's never faced the primary challenger. Um, he talks about draining the swamp, but you can't get a more swampy background than what he has. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, again, it's that empty rhetoric. It's what solutions have you brought to our district? Um, he hasn't brought, the infrastructure home that we've seen so much infrastructure um, go on in the last four years. He hasn't been able to bring that home. Um, whether or not you uh, agree, I agree that there's way too much money spent in, in the agenda, but you've got to be able to bring some of that back to your constituents. Um, that that's part of being a politician. Um, you you got to build a consensus and you got to put forward legislation. Um, there's, he's in the bottom 10% of people of actually introducing legislation. It's all about building coalitions, actually doing the job. And again, I cannot emphasize enough. I'm so sick and tired of reactionary politicians, just blame the other side, not putting forward solutions, not doing anything. And if you look at his record, he has not accomplished anything in his time, despite being in politics for 20 years. And I'm, I want new leadership in there. I, I can, can't agree more. Uh, and, and I would even go back to Bob Goodlad and, and both, and I've known uh, both Bob Goodlad and, and Ben Klein for a long time, Ben from his first run for the house delegates back in, I guess it was 2002. Maybe he ran for that special election. Um, they're nice guys. I'm not saying anything. They're affable. They're, they're, they're always have always answered my questions and that kind of thing, but I'm not sure that in the last 30 years that they either have, have really done a lot for this, this area. I mean, you, you Anybody who drives Interstate 81, for example, can look and see that, um, you know, that's a federal highway and it yep. doesn't seem like anything's been done to improve. And it's, it's very dangerous. I mean, and yep. everything from that to economic development, everything else, it just seems like we haven't yep. we haven't really gotten a lot out of out of our guys in D.C. the last 30 years. You are 100 percent correct. I've driven up and down 81. Um, it's almost 300 miles from end to end with gas prices the way they are. Then, you know, that's not a lot of fun, but it is dangerous. And it has the reason it appears it hasn't changed is because it has not changed. Um, they've not been able to secure funding for that. They've not invested in infrastructure. Um, you know, it's hard to get businesses to invest when we don't have we have areas without Wi-Fi um, that touches on the drug problems when you don't have jobs. Um, everything, again, is very interrelated and we need new leadership in there to address these issues. So you've talked about this a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of going through your website here. Mm -hmm. You have a, a issues section on your site, which is, it really spells things out. I want you to talk about the role of government. Um, I mean, you're, it sounds like a traditional Republican approach, best government, small government. Yep. Government should serve the people, not vice versa. Talk talk about your thoughts there and, and what you would do uh, in that respect. Yeah, so I, like you said, I'm a very traditional conservative. I believe the best government's a small government and we need to not over-regulate things. I want to cut back on a lot of red tape. And I think it's also important that politicians, um, you know, they always have the savior complex where they want to tell their people they can solve everything, but government can't solve everything. And I believe in the private sector. I believe in um, people being innovative without government interference. And I think that we as a society need to move forward and legislate. It's not the government's job to legislate morality. It's not the government's job to legislate 
um, almost anything. The government's job is to protect our people. Um, that's why we have a military, um, provide infrastructure and make sure that people are safe to the best of their ability. And if it's not covering those basic things that are in the constitution, um, we probably shouldn't be involved in doing it. Uh, it kind of rolls into the morality and government piece on your website. Um, one, the first thing that jumps out is that, that, that you um, state separation of church and state is an important value to you. That would, um, you, you know, I know there's a, a element of social conservatism, certainly uh, in the Republican Party um, that may feel differently about that. Maybe talk about your, your thoughts there and how um, you think that can, you know, appeal to a lot of Republican voters. Yeah, absolutely. So um, personally, my faith is very important to me. That's what defines my morality and my ethics. Um, but it's also not my job to dictate my faith to other people. Um, the the one issue where there's a huge overlap is abortion. I believe life begins at conception. And because of that, in my already stated belief that the government's job is to protect our citizens, I am pro-life. Um, but on most social issues, I take more of a libertarian approach where like gay marriage, for example, my faith says one thing, but unless you're harming somebody else, that's not the government's job to dictate that morality. And uh, frankly, I think the Republican Party has done a poor job at reaching out to um, the LGBT community and um, lots of other um, minority communities. Um, but we have to remember we're the party of small government. And with that, that means you don't get to dictate everything. I think that those are important issues and they need to be addressed at a local level. But from a federal level, it's not my job to, to dictate social issues. I definitely hear libertarian in there. I, I, in, in that sense, the social uh, the social side, basically, and, and it, it's that seems consistent to me. If one's going to call oneself a conservative uh, and believe in small government, um, I, I, I would I would agree. If you're if you're going to hold those beliefs, you can't tell people how to live their lives. Uh, that's I, small uh, in terms of government. Yes, I completely agree. And um, you know, you find lots of hypocrisy in government. Um, and there's are, are obviously there's a difference between academics and the real world. But um, I do really try and lay out on my website my belief system and how I will govern. And um, I think that's what actually the large majority of people want. Um, it's unfortunately just not what our politicians do. They say one thing, do another. I will point out on your website, it, it, you talked about the abortion issue in your in your uh, line of thinking. You say 100% pro-life, except when the mother's life's at risk. I know that there are a number of, of Republicans and certainly a number of independents and, and Democrats mm -hmm. you may want to cross over who, who um, at least would want to see that, uh, the mother's life at risk. But there are there are uh, some strains, it seems like, within, you know, since the, the leaked Supreme Court opinion that may or may not look the same when it's finally announced by the Supreme Court in a few weeks, I guess, um, that that indicate, hey, we don't we, we just don't want any abortion, even with a mother's life at risk. You're hearing that in some states are even acting in this way. So um, you do carve out at least that exception, mother's life at risk um, as, as something that you would support. Yes. Um, and in that case, it's a life for a life. Um, and, and obviously that's an incredibly hard decision. Um, but yes, if, a, if a mother's life at risk, is at risk, I'm not going to say that she has, um, that, that she should die. Um, but yes, that, that is my stance. And, um, yeah, I, at the beginning of your question, um, I, I am very conservative. Um, I, I know people like to try and run very far to the right or very far to the left. Um, but I am a traditional conservative in the sense of the small government. Um, and I do take pride in being a conservative. Now, 
that loops in a lot of things. It's very hard in modern politics to say what a conservative is with the right wing and the left wing, but I, 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 am, I am conservative, yes. Healthcare, we talked about that as a motivating uh, factor that made you decide to want to throw your name into this race. Yes. Um, specific under that, you're so, you actually offer solutions, which I think is exciting because I don't hear a lot from Republicans um, except for Obamacare is bad. Um, you actually say should not be a one size fits all solution and should prioritize patient health over profits. And that's that's uh, those are two pretty important stances. Talk more about your thoughts there. Absolutely. So part of what makes America great is the capitalism system where we have innovation and competition. But within healthcare, uh, it, it that model almost doesn't work because while we still need capitalism in the terms of um, the innovation and the competition, the underlying top priority has to be patient's health. And as I said, no person should um, have to choose between living in millions of dollars of debt or, um, or, or dying. Um, you know, we, we live in a country with great, fantastic wealth and there, there's stuff we can do. We can protect pre-existing conditions um, and, and take care of our people in a way that, um, you know, basic costs where if you have diabetes, you should not be, um, going broke paying for insulin. Like that, that's common sense. You talk to any person, Republican, Democrat, independent, it doesn't matter. They all will agree on that, but somehow our legislators get in there and they get in the hands of big pharma and all of a sudden they, they can't pass common sense solutions. Um, that, and uh, again, there's so much red tape in the healthcare industry. Whenever there's a ton of red tape and a confusing bureaucracy, it's because they want confusion. Um, small people can't fight with the lawyers that the big rich people have. And we need to get in there and gut the system, make it efficient for everyone. Uh, I want to go to education now. Um, uh, I, I'm curious with one of your bullet points, teach children to think critically. Uh, this It seems like uh, education's, uh, ed the education issue in general has become sort of a battleground, uh, mm -hmm. again, uh, it used to be the battleground was over whether we were funding them uh, enough now, and now you're seeing a lot of, uh, back and forth over critical race theory and, and, and sort of related things, how, how we teach our history and how we mm -hmm. teach kids. So when you say teach children to think critically, what are you getting at? What are you getting at there? Yeah. Um, I also think we need to teach our adults to think critically, but, um, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's really, in my view, the essence of education. Um, if you can teach a child to think critically and an adult, um, that lends itself to solving so many of our problems. Um, I'm not for whitewashing our history. I think it's important that we learn from our history. That's the only way we learn from our history. That shouldn't be a controversial stance. Um, but we, I went to a very good school system, and I didn't learn what an IRA or Roth TSP or any of the basic financial um, tools were. We need to teach our kids the basics of how to survive as an adult, um, obviously all the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic. But on top of those basic fundamentals, they need to be taught to think critically because that's so, so, so important, especially in today's media age where people look at their one side, whether it be Fox, Breitbart, CNN, MSNBC, and they can't articulate the other side. And if you can't articulate the other side, you don't really understand where they're coming from. And that's the only way that we're going to move forward as a society is if we have leaders who can actually engage in dialogue, um, iron sharpens iron and move forward. And that's another issue I have with Congressman Klein is he's refused to debate me. And I think, again, that's the only way we're going to move forward. Um, you know, you, you, you can't just hide um, behind the establishment. And that's, I think, teaching a bad example, one for our kids, but 
too, that just shouldn't be how our government works. And it shouldn't be how our society works. We don't talk enough about, we don't learn from each other enough. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And that, that, that'll dovetail great into the, your, your change DC culture uh, uh, stance. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, we, Ben Klein is probably an example of this. He, he's one who, he rarely, he rarely makes public statements, but it seems like all he does is say Democrats do bad things. He doesn't really offer ideas on his own, and that's really frustrating. Um, it's not that he's the only one. Uh, there are lots of Democrats and lots of other Republicans who do the same thing, but it's really frustrating that our folks in D.C. Um, prefer to put out press releases blasting the other side as opposed to trying to reach out and come up with some common sense compromises when there are compromises that can be made. I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. And the reason they do that is because it's very easy to hang on to power when it's a us versus them dynamic. Um, and I knew that going into this, that Congressman Klein probably would not debate me and try and just snuff me out and assume that he has the establishment behind him. But that's why I, I asked the basic question of why are you in this? Are you in this for the power? Are you in this for yourself? Or are you in this to actually move our country forward? And I think his actions speak very clearly on where his motivations lie. I, I, I'll, I'll kind of repeat what I said earlier, but I, I, again, Bob Goodlatte, Ben Klein, I've known them for a long time, but I always felt like um, Bob was there until he was going to retire. And I feel like Ben's there until he's going to retire. I don't know that they want to ruffle feathers in any way. They kind of just want to be quiet and get reelected. And that's probably why he's not treating you as a, a legitimate uh, uh, a candidate who can, who can threaten him in a couple of weeks, even though certainly you can. Um, Second amendment issues are very, front and center right now, certainly, uh, gun control, gun violence issues with, uh, the unfortunate tragedies we've seen in the last few weeks, um, and, and all the highlight there. Um, you mentioned you're a proud supporter of the right to bear arms. I will defend, I'm quoting you here on your bullet point. I will defend the second amendment against all incursions. What do you mean against, against all incursions? Uh, basically government overreach. Um, so again, this is another very passion inducing issue. Um, you spoke earlier to my libertarian tendencies. It's enshrined right in the Constitution. You have the right to bear arms. Of course, we need to solve the problem of gun violence. Um, the problem I see with our legislatures um, on, on both sides, and this is more of a democratic issue, is it seems like they want to pass something just to say they pass something. And again, I want to address the underlying issue. Um, a lot of these laws that you're seeing put forward as solutions wouldn't have stopped any of the, unfortunately, any of the shootings that we've seen. And I think we need to address uh, the mental health issues because it's not necessarily the people who, um, who have mental health issues that can't get a gun. It's the people who can pass a background check, who look perfectly fine, and then have whatever happens where they snap and then carry out an awful tragedy. It's how do we stop that issue? And I don't know a great solution to that, to be honest with you. Um, I, I will work, I can promise you this, I will work very hard with um, anyone in Congress to um, come up with a solution to that issue. Um, but I think we need a lot more nuance to the discussion than take the guns or leave the guns. We need to come up with how do we recognize um, when, when people are struggling, when they may potentially have um, a break and how do we also protect um, gun owners rights who are responsible, which is the incredible vast majority of gun owners. How do we, we, we have to make sure we protect their rights as well. Yeah. Um, I, I hear, um, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I wrote a column this week uh, about um, how honestly anything being considered by Congress now uh, background checks and, 
even the middle, I hear talk about mental health uh, funding. One, you know, we can, we, we certainly need to do more in that realm, uh, right. whether or not it has to do with guns or not. Um, mental health and, and, and physical health, medical health are, are should be treated uh, equally uh, important, sure. and they're not. Um, but at the same time, we talk about mental health uh, related to guns, and then we don't, you know, do enough to, to, to solve the problem. And, and I, I don't know either, though. I mean, it sounds like maybe you, you would agree with this, that, is, is is it just people with mental health issues? I mean, I think sometimes people can just be of sound yeah. mind and still decide that, you know, I, I don't like, I think it could go back to the, the, to the DC culture and the culture of society in general. Right now, we don't want to talk to each other. We want to demonize each other. And so uh, you have uh, someone trying to um, uh, assassinate a Supreme Court justice. Someone was arrested outside of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house the other day. Um, you have people threatening uh, AOC. Uh, you have people threatening X Y Z person, right? And we we don't want to listen. We don't want to. We don't want to engage. We just want to demonize and get rid of people. And 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 guns are a great way to do that. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, society is always going to have bad apples. I mean, again, if you want to learn from history, like that's that's a very basic lesson. And uh, that's just an unfortunate part of society. Um, we're we're always going to have bad actors who want to bring harm on to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 sometimes I wonder if the, the change, the culture thing might be a, a, a part of the solution here as well. So maybe they all kind of play together. Um, let's talk a little, a little bit of foreign policy. Uh, you, you served in the military. So, um, uh, value our troops is very important to you in that respect. Um, uh, no endless wars. I think that's, that's, I mean, we just, you know, I guess we're still embroiled whether we want to be or not. I know our, our troops were removed from Afghanistan, uh, last, last fall, but, uh, uh we sort of broke that and, and, and own it. And just like Iraq, I mean, you, you know, a couple of wars that went on for a long, long time that really had no aim at, as they went on, uh, unfortunately put a lot of uh, our troops and a lot of people in those countries at, at risk, um, and in neither of those places were Russia or China, which seemed to be the places we needed to put our attention. We, we drained our resources in two areas, and, and now we have the flare-up in Ukraine, and, and certainly China is, is going to be something that we're going to be dealing with as, as the 21st century uh, sort of Cold War eventually, I, I think, yeah. uh, that, that, that just as the Soviet-U.S. Uh, conflict defined the, 20th, the second half of the 20th century. So uh, I, I see, you know, those are your bullet points, but I want you to talk more about that if you could. Yeah. So this is actually one area where Congressman Klein and I have uh, some fundamental differences. Um, let, let's take the Ukraine issue, for example. Um, again, if you want to learn from history, you know that the Soviet Union um, was very boisterous in their rhetoric and they would talk a big game. Um, they, they said they had more missiles than they did. Um, and you can learn a lot from the Cuban Missile Crisis in history. But knowing history and how it led up to the Russian invasion in Ukraine, um, we had to show strength leading up to that invasion. If we showed strength, Russia would have backed down. Um, and Congressman Klein and President Biden both said, oh, if you go into Ukraine, we're not going to do anything. Well, congratulations. You just gave him the green light to go in there and do what he's doing now. So he, um, Congressman Klein took strategic deterrence off the table. That was a huge mistake. Um, at the time, I also said, okay, there's going to be an invasion, like, Congressman, use your platform to let the people know that there's going to be a disinformation campaign, that the economy is going to um, be very tumultuous, that gas prices are going to go up, that Russia is going to use um, 
their oil leverage to make uh, sky uh, prices skyrocket. Um, we need to be energy independent. Like, let your people know. At least they can talk with their advisor and uh, maybe, you know, be like, oh, there's a, a, a rough market coming up. He didn't do any of that. All he did was say, oh, President Biden, like, led us to this. It's like, no, dude, like, you had the same exact policy as him. Like, take some responsibility. And then um, after we got involved in this, he just voted to spend $40 billion overseas. He's voted against a myriad of programs right here at home, funding veterans, uh, support for the border wall, uh, the baby formula storage, so many issues right here in America um, against the post office, against infrastructure right here at home. All these issues where he says I'm an America first candidate, but you just spent $40 billion overseas and all the programs I rattled off could have been um, covered under that $40 billion, um, it, which is, again, why we don't need reactionary politicians who don't understand what's going on and every issue interrelates. Um, you, you can't just sit there and say Biden's at fault for inflation when you did the same exact uh, you believe in the same exact policies he did that led us down that road. I'm curious. Uh, this is a tough question. It's an easy question for me to ask. Tough one to answer yeah. about gas prices. Um, yeah. Everybody is is impacted by this. You mentioned this earlier. Driving, yeah. I'm sure, on the campaign trail up yeah. and down this long district that we live in, um, mm-hmm. you're 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 feeling the pain as much as anybody else or more. Um, if, so again, easy for me to ask, hard to answer. What can we do uh, in the short term to to deal with this, and in maybe longer term as well? Yeah, so we do need to be energy independent. Um, and that's from a national security standpoint, as well as an economic standpoint. Uh, we can't be reliant on other countries. Um, you saw some of the solutions that were out there was, let's get Iran to um, produce more reserves or Venezuela. It's like, well, okay, those aren't guys that are necessarily good either. Um, we have the capability and capacity to um, be energy independent ourselves. Um, we were under President Trump. We're not under President Biden. And that is uh, a big area where I think President Biden has let us down. We need to um, make sure that we're producing right here at home. Um, I am for investing, um, you know, in or, or I want to see us move towards um, cleaner energy. But until we get to that point and nuclear um, is is where I'd like to see investments made. But until we get to the point where alternative energies can do that, and I think the private sector should be the one investing in those, not the government, um, we need to make sure that we are energy independent and have enough um, supplies for ourselves. Last night, the uh, House January 6th committee had its first TV hearing, um, uh, public hearing, I guess you want to say. Uh, and uh, one thing, but, uh, Congressman Klein um, actually voted with um, Bob Good over in the 5th District and Morgan Griffiths down in the 9th District among Virginia Republicans uh, against uh, certifying the uh, results of a couple of the states, Arizona, Pennsylvania, back on January 6th after the incursion on the Capitol. I'm curious your thoughts uh, on um, the 2020 election. Was it legitimate? And um, your thoughts on Ben Klein's votes in that respect? Yeah, so two parts. Um, I support President Trump's right to audit the election. That's completely within his rights. Um, to this point, we have not, the courts have not found any fraud. Um, and I think we need to, again, we talked about the polarization of the media. Um, they need to focus on the facts of, uh, of what went on. And um, as far as Ben Klein's vote, um, I'm not going to go back and retroactively, like, I, I don't know what information he had, but I will say if he thought that the election was fraudulent, he absolutely should have said so before the election was cast. 
Um, again, if you truly believe he, it's one of two things, either he genuinely thinks it was stolen, in which case he should have said something and been out in front about it, or he's selling out to appease people. And that's not a good solution either. Either way, whatever he did was a horrible way of dealing with it. Um, and that I, I would have handled it very differently. So I'll put, I'm going to put you on the spot and this will be the only time I put you on the spot, but what was the, was the 2020 results that were certified? Were they, what was Joe Biden legitimately elected president in your view? As I've said right now, Joe Biden is the president. And I think we as a party need to focus on solutions for the American people and looking backwards and relegating our own internal debates um, aren't fixing the gas prices or any of the other myriad of issues that, uh, that we have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's a, so um, the primary is June 21st. Yes, sir. So what are, we're talking on June 10th. Uh, So for people listening uh, in the days after, what are your next 11, 12 days like here? So um, I'm I'm doing some media appearances. I'm going to be out meeting as many people as I can. Um, I, I, my biggest request for people um, wherever you fall on the political spectrum is please do your homework. Please look at my website, see what I stand for. If you have questions, reach out to me, reach out to my campaign. We will get back to you. Um, but most importantly, people need to know June 21st, you can vote. You have the decision um, on who's going to represent you. And the only way that, um, you know, Congress has a 14% approval rating, we keep getting the same people back in there and people keep wondering why the system's broken. So I, I really encourage people do your homework. Um, and at least make your voice heard, whether it's for me or it's not for me, we need more people involved. We can't just have the same, you know, two, 3% of the population determining who goes to, uh, represent them. For our listeners on the podcast, our viewers on YouTube, uh, the address is merithailforcongress.com. We will link to that, uh, various places, uh, as we post uh, the video and the audio to this, uh, to this discussion. Well, Merit, I want to thank you for your time and wish you the best of luck as the next few days roll on. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.